never had to preach two sermons in one morning. Man, I'm too old for this. <laughs> Man, but I appreciate y'all coming. Doug uh, is in Israel, right? Or on his way back or somewhere like something like that. And he asked for Joe and I to stand in and preach for him. And it's always an honor and a blessing to uh, have this chance to come and to preach. And I appreciate y'all being here. Hopefully I can be a blessing to you. You can be a blessing to me. We can gather on God's Word. Um, if you've been here for a few times, you know that there, we're in a series, a six-part series on uh, right in the eye, which comes from the phrase in Judges that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And so if you've you know been here for any of those sermons, you can remember how bad things were in the book of Judges. I tell you, the book of Judges, it's a bad time. Things are not going good. Um, and it all stems from the people doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's where all the trouble starts. And so the last message, which is the one I'm supposed to preach, uh, it's from the book of Ruth. Now, what's interesting about Ruth, if you see there the first um, verse in Ruth chapter 1, says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth is happening in the midst of this chaos and anarchy and people doing what they want to do. And the book of Ruth is like that little, that little northern star up there in that vast sea of blackness, of hopelessness. Ruth is that little shining light of guidance in this time. And so um, what, what we like about Ruth is and that when people were doing what was right in their own eyes, there's a couple people who did what was right in the Lord's eyes. And just those two people made such a difference, and we're going to see that. So you know what? You think, wow, you know, all that's going on here in America, it's going on in my job, it's going on in my family. You making that decision to do what's right in the Lord's eyes can do so much. And uh, that's what this book is about, to encourage us to do that. Now, just to kind of get an understanding of how bad things were, in the book of Judges, says there in Judges chapter 2, verse 19, that they got worse as time went on. It says, and it came to pass when the judges, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. So as soon as the, you know, the judge came and he ruled and he helped and he guided, and then when he passed on, the generation that came up from that became worse than their fathers were before them when they were delivered. And then when that generation grew up and called on God and God sent a deliverer and the deliverer came, their children, when that judge died, were worse than the fathers before them and their grandfathers before them. And it just became this cycle of it, it kept getting worse. And now that's what happens whenever you do things and I do things that's right in my own eye. It gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Right? When you try to do a marriage according to what you think is right, it gets worse and worse. When you try to do your finances how you think they ought to be done, they get worse 
And they get worse. When you try to take care of that knucklehead that's driving too slow in front of you, it gets worse and it gets worse, right? Because the next knucklehead, you get even more angry and you scream at them and you're going to pull in the gas station and give them a piece of your mind, right? I'm talking to my wife, by the way. <laughs> that was that was her who did that. But but you, come on now, right? That's what happens. That's what happens. It gets worse and worse. The next thing about Judges we see there in Judges chapter 10 is that they they begin to commit sin you know, openly. It's not just hiding in the shadows. It says there in Judges chapter 10, verse 6, Then the children of Israel did again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served all these gods, the gods of Baals and Asheroth and all. But the top of the, the very first part of that verse the idea when it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord, it, it's not only that here they are doing these wicked things that God can see, but it's the idea is that they can do, they're just doing these things just out in the open. It's just, it's just blatant sin. They have no regard for anybody else, their children, their neighbors, their coworkers, or even God. And they're just out there in sin and they don't care who sees it. The next characteristic of judges there in Judges chapter 21 is about their disobedience spreads like cancer. It said, in those days there was no king in Israel. And I like this word. Now, God uses this word. He says, everyone, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, when, whenever I begin to do what's right in my own eyes and I, I begin to do things that I think they, how they ought to be done, then that anarchy spreads to my wife. And then my kids, and then my church family, and my co-workers, and it just spreads like a cancer. The Bible says, um, he, he, um, who is Paul? Paul warns them and says, look, be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves, he actually says. He says, do not fool yourself because evil communication, evil uh, one translation puts it, um, company corrupts good manners. Don't be fooled to think that you can hang around and be around somebody who's doing what's right in their own eyes and it not affect you. Okay? Because it does. Real fast, there's this little list of things that the book of Judges kind of outlines and gives quickly. The days of judges are judgment and suffering. So it says there, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's mentioned seven times. Okay. Seven times it talks about that. Six times for 111 years, they served others. So out of the 300 and something years that judges covers, 1100 of those years, they were in servitude out of six different, from six different countries. Five times it talks about how they were oppressed how people just came in and just robbed them of their goods and impressed them. And it says there 49 times the word deliverer is used. Now that means whether they were delivered to the hands of their enemies or God delivered them out of the hands of the enemies. 49 times it's used like that. So that's kind of the characteristic of the book of Judges. It's just chaos, anarchy, I'll do things my way. Now, the scary thing about that is that 
they were left to themselves. And that is in Judges chapter 10, verse 13. He says there, God says to them, you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Can you imagine if God says, I'm not going to help you anymore? You're going to call on me, but I'm not going to take away that problem. Now, you know, God, the Bible says we, we, we call as Christians, Jesus, our personal savior. And we mean that because he has an individual relationship with you. If you are a Christian, when you come to him as your, uh, as come to him as savior, as he, he can be your savior, you as a sinner and he saves you, there's a personal relationship. There's a one-on-one communication. And so every person has their line drawn in the sand. Everybody has their individual line. Now your line is not my line. My line is not yours. Okay. God has a line drawn for you. And where that line is drawn, God says, now I'll tell you what, do not cross that line. Because if you cross that line, I am not going to deliver you. Now, the best way I can explain this, okay, to, to kind of get this idea that, well, is God, does God really do that? Yeah, he does. Let me just explain. Let's say there's a young man, okay, or a young lady. They go out there and they're living a life of sin, running with a crowd they shouldn't be running with, doing things they shouldn't do. And God keeps trying to pull them back and say, now, hey, you're doing what's right in your own eyes. Now, you need to, you need to pull back. You need to, you need to stop. You need to listen. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. I'm going to be 50 this year, so some of you youngins don't understand that. All right? That's a great show. Black and white there for a long time, wasn't it? There for a little bit. Right? And so... God has that line drawn. And you know what? You cross that line, you could have a child that you can call out to God, ask for forgiveness. He will forgive you. You can get a disease that will make you not able to have children. You can call out to the Lord. You can ask for forgiveness. He will forgive you. But you'll still have that child You'll still never bear children. He will not deliver you from that. You see? That's a scary thing. So, that's what happens whenever we do things that are right in our own eyes. Now, the good thing is, is that there's this book of Ruth. This little speck of light of hope in this dark times. Now, to really get an understanding of the book of Ruth... um, I'm going to have to more or less, we're going to have to bullet train, right? You know, on them super trains, we're going to have to go through the book of Ruth so you can understand. There's really, you can't really pick out a portion here or a verse there to really grasp how great this book is. Actually, it's my favorite book. I've probably read the book of Ruth more than I've read any other book in the Bible and studied it. It it speaks so much to me in in my time. I'm going to try not, but because... Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to ruin something. I'll, I'll take it here in a second. But it's a great book. I love it. So we're going to have to go through this book and, and cover some verses, look a lot of scripture, and see what this book says, see what God says. Because 
In the midst of all this turmoil, there's going to be two people that did what was right in God's eyes and made a difference. All right, so back here in Ruth chapter number one, it says this. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Okay, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. Okay, now stop right there. A couple things. Now, okay, there is a famine in the land. But as we read through the book, and of course we read the book of Judges, this is happening kind of right in the middle towards the end of what's going on in the book of Judges. So obviously, people survived the famine. Most people didn't leave. They stayed, and they made it through. But for whatever reason, this guy decides, I'm not going to do without. I'm not going to live here and have to um, not have what I want to have. Moab has some fine things over there. So let's go, family. And they went to Moab. Okay? So it's not like if you would have stayed, they would have died from um, starvation. Nobody else did. He just didn't want to do without so he went. Okay. Now I'll be honest with you. I've, I've left, I've gone to Moab. I told God I'm done and I'm heading. I'm my wife thinks that I did that when we went to Connecticut, <laughs> but we did not. I thought I was following the Lord. We moved to Connecticut for seven years, by the way. That's not why I sound the way I sound. Okay. I know I talk different. That's because my family is actually from New York. All right, so Connecticut didn't do that to me, but they did a lot of other things to me. But uh, but I but when I came back, when we came back to Texas from Connecticut, I went to the land of Moab. I said, I'm tired of serving God. There's got to be something better than this. Now I went to church and I did what I I did all the things I'm supposed to do, but I left. Okay, maybe you've left. Maybe you've gone to the land of Moab because you don't like how things are going in the land of God. Maybe it's kind of rough. Maybe it's kind of tough. Maybe there's a famine, you know? And so you do what's right in your own eyes. That's what I did. And he left. But another thing here about that word right there says dwell. That word dwell has, it's kind of broad, but it, it does have the idea of a short stay. So they, did was, they just went to go stay, just stay a little bit. Just stay for maybe through the crop until the famine was gone and the new harvest came through and, and, and bread and stuff came back and then we'll go on back to Israel. See, they, they, they didn't have any intention of staying there long. Just for a little bit. You see? And that's how it usually is, isn't it? When you're going to do things right on your own. I mean, I'm just going to go into this sin just for a little bit. I'm just going to um, just dabble here a little. I, I'll, when, when it gets too bad, I'll get out of it. When it gets too rough, I'll, I'll, I'll come out. I'll stop. But it never happens like that. It says there, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were I don't understand. Why can't it be Bob and Craig, you know, but it's, it's Mahlon 
and Chilion. You guys, my kids better be glad I didn't name them Mall and Chilion. Now, what is great about that portion of scripture right there is, you know, in Israel, the Jews, a name meant something. Someone's name, I mean, um, you know, that they, they gave a, a child a name out of what was in their heart at that time. And, and the name in Israel, it's, you know, like, I, I forget. My wife knows those things. You know, the girl ladies always know that stuff. You know, the name means, my name means, you know, beautiful. I don't know what my name's Casey. I don't probably need doofus. I don't know what my name means. But, you know, somewhere that has a name. But, but actually in Israel, you know, a name is, is part of the language. You know, I mean, it was, it was the words that were used. So his name, Elimelech, meant my God is king. So every time he's called him for supper, hey, my God is king. I mean, that's really the word. My God is king. Come on. Supper. Supper time. Naomi, her name meant my delight. I'm sure she was the pride of some parents. My delight. It's time to pick up your room. My delight. Pick up your room. All right, delight. Pick up your room, all right? I'm taking away your camel phone. I don't know what they used back then. Right now, but that, but that kind of shows the heritage they had. Those two, Elimelech and Naomi, must have had some parents that followed God to name their son "My God is King" when there was no king, and to name their daughter "My Delight." Do you know what means? Sicko. It means sickly. Chilion means wine bag. You know, the wine, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Hey, sicko, wine bag, dinner. Can you imagine being named, going to school and going, and uh, let's see, who's uh, wine bag? It's me, you know. But what I'm trying to show you is something happened to that couple to go from the heritage that they had that by the time they had kids they're calling them sickly and complainer it kind of shows you what's in their heart see you know you never just wake up and say I think I'll rob a bank today you know sounds like a nice bright day today you know, you just don't wake up and say, hey, I think I'll get into pornography today. I think I'll embezzle some money out of my, my business today, my job. You know, I think I'll run some people off the road today. I just, you know, feel like it's a good day to run some money off the road. It just doesn't happen like that. It happens over time. And every day that when I do what I want to do in my own eyes, I do what's right in my own eyes, then I... I keep getting farther and farther away from God. And that's how that happens. See, you think right now, well, it's not, it's not bad. You know, things aren't too bad. But see, it's going to get worse. And so something happened to them that by the time they had children, they were already far from God. Now, the passage goes on and says this. They were from Bethlehem, Judah. 
And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So now they didn't just dwell, now they end up staying. Now, the scripture is very clear. I like how the Bible puts things out. So it, it, it kind of indicates how things flow. So it says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died and she was left and her two sons. So you saw her sons had not married yet. They were still single, but when they get there, we're not told how long, but the husband dies. Now, does Naomi say, man, well, all right, boys, let's go. We're going back to Israel. That fool of a husband drug us over here to Moab. Now he's dead. Let's get back to where God's at. No, that's not what happened. She stayed. See, the husband led him there, but she stayed. She stayed in Moab. Now, this is, this is Casey's two cents. All right. This is, this is my spin on the deal. Now, thank God my wife was not in the first service because I didn't remember how long I was married, but it's going to be 27 years. This, okay. I got it right this time. 27 years. Um, so I've been married for a little bit and my wife's famous saying is you might be the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head. And she says it just like that too. So a wife has a lot of power. A man's, you know, they are, they are equal. The Bible says they're equally yoked, their husband and wife. Okay. That's why you're not supposed to be unequally yoked with a spouse. That's not a Christian. But so, so they, they, you know, like two oxen that pull the cart, they work together. One ox is not ahead of the other. They're side by side. Now the husband is given the job to lead, but he's not given the job to, um, you know, he's not sitting in the cart driving it. He's the ox next to the other. He leads by example. Okay. So my two cents of this is that. By the way, one more thing, just the culture was the wives, the mothers named the children. The mothers named the children. Long as the father agrees, the mother names him. Remember that when John the Baptist was born, they asked the mother, what do you want to call him? She said, John. She, they said, they turned to the father and said, John, you want to do this? And he said, yes. And that's when God loosed his tongue and he spoke. So I can just see in this relationship, Naomi just bugging him. Man, we got nothing. I don't got any bread today. I can't, can't make any muffins for you. You know, I don't got any, don't got any wheat or whatever. And you know, you know how you like your pancakes, but I can't, you know, eliminate like I just, there's famine in the land and finally, okay, okay, I will go. And he listens and he goes because I think maybe it was her because when, when her husband was gone, she stayed and we're going to see. That when her two sons die, she still stays. Now, sometimes in a relationship, it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife. But you know what? Um, when one is wanting to do what's right in their own eyes, then they begin to drag that spouse with them. I believe that's what happened. It says there, after Naomi's husband died, it said she was left and her two sons. And then now they took Wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. She stayed 10 years with them. Then both Malon and Chilion died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And did she leave then? No. 
The Bible says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Not until the famine was gone was she willing to go back. That's how hard she had gotten. That's, that's how much, we're going to see here in a little bit, how much bitterness she got in her. Because she was doing what was right in her own eyes. And she got so far from God. Now, I can't, you know, go through all the scripture because it takes so much time. But what happens is that when her daughters come with her, her daughter-in-laws, and she tells them, look, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an older lady. I cannot bear children. Even if I bore a son today, would you wait the 20 years for him to be grown and then marry him to have children of your own and carry your inheritance and in your heritage? She said, go back. Go, but don't, don't come with me. Go on back to your people and stay with your people. Okay. And it says here in Ruth chapter one, verse 14, it says, then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Naomi said to her, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Can you imagine that? She sent her back to a God forsaken, idolatrous country where they sacrifice their own children so they might have good crops. And that's the place she sent her back. She says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And that's how far this woman had sunk. But in the midst of that, there is this great gem that's about to be born. I mean, you know, this, this uh, I don't know what to call it, this, this hope, ray of hope, that God speaks to this woman, Ruth, and she becomes a believer. And look what it says. It said, but Ruth said to her, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Forever you go, I will go. Where you, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And that means like for staying just for a day. If we have to go live in a field for a day and then follow and go over here and live there for a couple of days and then go live over here for a week, why as we follow wherever the barley harvest and the wheat harvest is, if we have to travel around just to live the next 20 years, that's what I'll do. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Man, that's a wonderful thing. Here is that one spark of hope where somebody makes a choice that's right in God's eyes. See, she had a choice before her because she knew as a Moabite, Going into the land of Israel, the chances of anybody marrying her and her having a heritage or an inheritance was, it was not going to happen. And that she would be a widow from the age of about 25 for the rest of her life. And that's what she was looking at. But she, she said, you know what? But that's what God, that's where God is. And that's God's will. And I'm going to take it. And she went. Now, when they finally get to Bethlehem, it, t- it takes them probably two months traveling on foot, sleeping out in the open to finally make it all the way around from Moab back to Bethlehem. Okay? 
Two women traveling this area by themselves, dangerous times. When they finally get there, the people see her and they say, oh, hey, isn't that Naomi? Hey, isn't that Naomi? Remember that? She Didn't she leave about 12 or so years ago? And she says, no, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me my delight, but call me Mara, which means bitterness, to be bitter. Call me bitter because the Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has put his hand against me. The Lord has taken everything from me. And that's how she was. So she was defeated, gone. No more faith in God. Now, I can tell you what, when I was in the land of Moab and I made my decision to get out there away from God and, 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 and do what I wanted to do, everything that happened to me, I blamed the Lord. It's all God's fault. When the lawnmower broke, that was God's fault. Okay. When then, when the weed whacker broke and I couldn't even mow my lawn, that was God's fault too. You know, I mean, everything was God's fault, you know? It wasn't my fault because I got away from God. It was all God's fault. Because I was doing what was right in my own eyes. Now, as how the story goes, she tells Ruth, hey, you got to go out and you got to get, got to get us something to eat. We got to eat. So Ruth says, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll find us something. So the Israel had a law. They had a law on the land that was given by Moses. That whenever they gleaned the field, they came through and gleaned the field, they they couldn't go back and get anything that they might have left. Okay, they had to leave whatever was left, if something fell or whatever, or maybe a stock or so that had stuff on, they had to leave it behind for the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. So that they could come through the field and gather what was left, that they could feed themselves. If they were willing to get out there and work and try, then they could have what was left. And so on comes the, on the scene comes Boaz. And Boaz, there's some great things about Boaz. First of all, he, he is openly, um, openly stands for the Lord. When he comes up to his reapers, he, the Bible says, he says, the Lord bless you. And they turn to him and say, well, the Lord be with you, Boaz. And that's when he spots the lady, spots Ruth out there. And he said, Hey, who's, who's that lady out there? Because what happens is you have the reapers and you have the ladies that are behind the reapers and then you have the, anybody else and, and the, and the ladies, the, 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 the handmaidens, they called them and the reapers that they work for Boaz and Ruth is back there in the back, just coming, picking up stuff that she could find and, and getting stuff out of the dirt that was left and stuff like that and shaking it off and putting it in her, in her, you know, the lap of her dress, you know, the skirt that she had and she's doing that. And he says, Hey, Hey, who's that woman out there? They said, Oh, that's, that's Ruth, that Moabitess that came with Naomi. Married one of his sons. He died. She's here, um, some food and stuff like that for her and her mother-in-law. And Boaz says, all right, I'll tell you what, nobody messes with her. Now, you remember a couple sermons ago, whenever they talked about, um, you know, the, the, the man who chopped up his concubine, remember that? I mean, these are dangerous times for women. It's very dangerous times for women in the time of judges, okay? Uh, men did not have respect for them, and they didn't treat them right in this time. And so Boaz says, hey, nobody touches her. Nobody messes with her. Nobody stops her from what she's doing. You let, you let her sit, and you glean. And matter of fact, what I want you to do is let her come up here with, with my, my maidens, 
And she can be up there working with them. She's not out there by herself or anybody else can mess with her. Matter of fact, you know what you're going to do? I want you guys to take some of the good, some of the stuff that you're cutting right there off the stalk. You're cutting that. And the Bible, one of the translation calls it handfuls on purpose. He says, I want you to drop some handfuls on purpose. Drop some of that good stuff on the ground and leave it for her. Let her get that. She's not just going to grab what's left on the stalk. I want her to get some good stuff and leave it there and let her pick it up when she comes. Don't forbid her. I want her to have all that she needs. And that's what he did. I mean, that's the kind of man that Boaz was, a man of integrity, you know, character. But <clears throat> on the Palestine high school wall, I, I, I saw this and I, and I waiting for my son to do something when we registered them this year um, for school in Palestine. There's a saying on the wall that says, character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. Character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. If you're doing something for somebody and you know that you're not going to get anything for that, no one's going to see it, they can't pay you for it, it's just knowing that's the right thing to do, that's character. And that's the kind of man Boaz was. He wouldn't expect anything, anything from her. He's just going to help her out. And of course, that giving spirit. Now, what's, what we find out is that Boaz is actually in the family line of Elimelech. So he's what we call a near kinsman. Okay. And in Israel, they had another law. And that is if there's a widow that has, you know, her husband dies and she's not able, has no children to carry on the inheritance or the heritage, then a near kinsman can marry her and the child from that marriage will actually be in the line or of the inheritance of the one that died and, and carry on their inheritance and their heritage like that. So as the story goes, the Bible says that Ruth stayed with him through the barley and the wheat harvest. Okay, so she's there for several months out there every day. And they see her and they see that consistency and they see that how faithful she is and they see that she is a believer and she's turned to God because it's going to be evident here in a second. And so Boaz comes to her and he tells her in Ruth chapter two, verse 12, he says, the Lord repay you, repay your work and a full reward to be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. See, People saw that this Moabite woman had turned from the gods and the, and the evil of her people and began to do what was right in God's eyes. And she became a shining light. And Boaz saw that. And God saw that. And God began to work. Now, as time went on, those months went by. Oh, man, I got to wrap this up. Naomi tells Ruth, look, what's what you got to do. You got to go down there after the harvest. They're getting all the grain and you go down there and you lay your skirt because it's the middle of the night and the men are in one group and the women are over there. You lay your skirt over his feet to cover his feet. Okay. And then when the man wakes up, he'll tell you what to do is what she tells him. And the story goes, the passage there, Ruth chapter three, verse eight through 11. 
Okay. It says that it happened at midnight when he woke up. I mean, just tell you, instead of read, it's there on this, on the board, but, um, he woke up and he said, who is that? And she said, it's, it's your handmaiden Ruth. And I've come for you to be my kinsman redeemer. If you would. Um, and he says, you know what? He says, I've heard about you. And the last part of that uh, verse, he says, I will do for you all that you request for all the people of the, my town know that you are a virtuous woman. And she is the only woman in the Bible that is called a virtuous woman. I'm sure there were other women, but, but she was so remarkable. That's, that's what he called her. And so what happens, he has to go and he, and he has to go and he says, Hey, but there's one more person that's near kin than I am. He's got first dibs to make that choice. So he goes to that man. He says, Hey, look, here's a field. It's a Limelex. Do you want to buy it? You can take what's, you know, what you get from it. Part of it can be yours. Part of it goes to Naomi, you know, because it was, it was her husband's and you can help feed her. And he says, I'll take it. He said, but let me tell you that if you take the field, you also got to take Ruth, the Moabitess, because she was, she's Naomi's daughter-in-law. He said, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want to marry her because if I marry her and she has a child, I'm going to have to give some of my inheritance to her and I'm going to lose out. I'm going to lose. I don't want to do that. You can have her if you want her. So he says, okay. So he buys the land and he marries Ruth and he does bear a son by her. Okay. Now. Boaz and Ruth have a son. A son. There they are. Boaz and Ruth have Obed. Obed and his wife have Jesse. Jesse and his wife have David. Three generations. And three generations King David is born. His son Solomon wrote in Proverbs about the virtuous woman. I believe he was thinking about his great, great, great grandmother, Ruth. That was a virtuous woman. He heard stories about her. He wrote about the virtuous woman, Proverbs chapter 31. And of course, we know that 27 generations later, David has a child by his lineage through Mary and Joseph, and his name is Jesus. And two people who chose to do what was right in God's eyes made all the difference in the world. You see? And so, you know, you might have family troubles. You might have finance troubles. You might have marriage troubles, health troubles. But you know what? Do what is right in God's eyes. Make that choice to do what God says is right. And you will make all the difference in the world. God will begin to guide. God will begin to bless God will give you grace to endure. Okay? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, Lord, again, we want to thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for a great Savior that we have that gave himself and died on that cross, Lord, and rose the third day that we might uh, have new life and have life abundantly. Lord, give us the grace, give us the courage, the strength to make those decisions, Lord, that are right in your eyes. Give us the patience, Lord, to seek your face and to, and to, and to know 
what your direction is for us before we make these hasty decisions. And God, I pray, as Joe has said, there's lots of heartache and lots, lots of trouble in, in, our, in our church and our friends, um, a lot of distress, hard times. And Lord, I pray that you'd come alongside, give them the strength, Lord, to do what's right, to look to you and lean to you. And Lord, if there's someone in the land of Moab, Lord, give them the, the strength to come out, to leave that forsaken land and come back to God's country where God's at. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.